Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here recording Lost in the Woods. Welcome back for another week. So today we are taking you to a small northern town called Hartlepool in the UK. And this case took place 20 years ago when a local man took his canoe down to the local beach and vanished. So this is the story of John Darwin. So Hartlepool is a little town on the northwest coast of England. And to give you guys some context about the size of this town, it has a population of roughly 92,000 as of this year. So it's kind of small, but not tiny. There's a university and it has a football stadium. I would say anything with a football stadium feels like a big town to me. Also, the people in this town have been referred to, jokingly, as monkey hangers due to a story that in the 19th century, a French ship wrecked off the coast and the townspeople found a washed up pet monkey and hanged it as a French spy. Like, I'm sorry, what? So people actually... This this town at one point hanged a monkey that they thought was a French spy that had washed up from a shipwreck. Was he alive? Yeah, obviously. They killed a monkey because they thought it was a spy? Yeah. What the fuck? What is wrong with humans? We suck. Directly next to Hartlepool is Seton Carew, which is sort of a suburb almost. Unlike Hartlepool, which only has a marina and a rocky outcrop called the Headland, Seton Carew is a local beach. Like most typical northern beaches, there's fish and chip shops, ice cream shops, and arcades. But most people come to enjoy the four-mile-long stretch of sand and dunes. Sections of the beach form part of the Teesmouth National Nature Reserve also. So it sounds like a really cool place that everybody like goes to for their beachy experience because in Hartlepool it's very there's like a marina and some rocks it's not like a nice beachy coastal area also given the excellent rating of the water quality by the environmental agency Seton Crew attracts many people for swimming and water sports such as sailing windsurfing paddleboarding and canoeing which is exactly what John Darwin was doing on March 21st, 2002. So John was born on the 14th of August, 1950, making him 51 years old when he went missing. He married his wife, Anne, and worked as a school teacher for 20 years before becoming a prison officer in nearby Stockton-on-Tees. On the morning of March 21st, he set out. It was a Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. From his home in Seton Carew. At 8 a.m., he was seen paddling his canoe out to sea. Later that same day, around 9.30 p.m., so we're way, he's been the out whole there for day a long has time. Please don't wait until 9.30 p.m. The to alarm, be concerned. The alarm was risen when John failed to show up for work at his night shift. So that's, that's a huge, that's 13 and a half hours 
that's a really big gap in our timeline, right? Like we know that he was setting out in his canoe early in the morning. It is now late at night, probably dark out. And they're just now realizing that he's missing. Yeah. Ooh. So a massive search was launched and it was led by RNLI, the Royal National Lifeboat Institution. Beautiful. Cool. Love anything with royal in it. I know. Back to the royal. The UK and the Canadians really love to throw their royals in. I know. I think we should just start doing that for everything here. Just start calling everything royal in our podcast. Like things in Washington. We were at Royal Mount Rainier National Park. Yeah, but nothing's named Royal because we had no And the different. Royal Surge Parties were coming out. Like, we could do it. Let's do it. It sounds... Okay. It sounds, right. it sounds real wrong. It's fine. They sent out five boats from Hartlepool and Redcar. Redcar is a seaside town across on the other side of the river alongside two boats from the National Coast Guard a police plane with heat-seeking equipment, a Royal Air Force helicopter, and numerous ground teams searching the shoreline. That's a pretty massive search. That's a very massive search for some guy who didn't show up for work, and we don't even know if he's out on the water still. And also it says that in the UK, this is actually a massive search. Right, right. I mean, he is like a prison guard. He probably knows a lot of the people... Who would be out there searching, too, if you think about it. Who knows? Seems like a lot, though. So on the evening of the 21st, teams conducted a search over 62 miles of coastline from Hartlepool as the most northern poet, then moving southward down to States and around 10 miles out to sea along this search area in hoping to locate John still alive. And at this point... Haven't even found his canoe. So at 1.15 a.m. on the 22nd of March, so this is the early hours of the next morning, a double-ended paddle had been found floating in the sea near North Gare, a section of Seton Carew. And it was described as the kind of oar which would have been used to paddle the kind of canoe that John owned. Right, so they don't know for sure that this is his paddle, but it is the type of paddle that he would have been using. How would you know if it's his paddle? Well, you wouldn't, but we have a missing canoe with a missing man, and we have a floating paddle in the general area. No, yeah, no, for sure, but there would be no telling if it was his actual paddle unless his paddle had, like, markings on it of some kind, yeah. A quote from Dave Kamish, the deputy landing authority for the red car lifeboats, to the BBC said this. If a canoeist lost his oar and cannot retrieve it, he is at the mercy of the sea and currents and has to sit it out until he is rescued. Normally, these people wear the right sort of protective clothing, and we hope this is the case in this instant. So basically, he's saying, if he lost his oar, He could just be floating out in the middle of the ocean, unable to bring himself to shore or find his way back, right? So they're saying if he's wearing proper clothing, if he has what he needs, he could still just be out. Can you imagine being like out in the middle of the ocean? You have no paddle and you're just like fucking stuck. No. Canoeing is, I don't know about, I don't know 
Actually, I think it was a kayaker that was swallowed by a whale. Mm. I was going to say I don't really like canoeing because, you know, stranded out or you get... But I think it was a kayaker that was eaten by the whale. Well, kayaks are a little smaller than canoes. But, mm-hmm. like, a canoe kind of comes up a little further on the sides than a kayak. Because I know that if I was in my kayak, I could lay on the top of it and I could, like, paddle with my arms to get somewhere. But a canoe, you can't do that. It's more open and wider. So I'd rather be stranded in the middle of nowhere with my kayak, I think, than with a canoe. But still. So the conditions that John would have been in if he is stuck in sea. Typically, temperatures in March in the area generally reach around highs of 10 degrees Celsius, which is about 50 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's pretty cold. And at night, the temperature drops roughly to 3 degrees Celsius, which is about 38 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, the temperature of the water, or the sea, is an average of 7 degrees Celsius, which is 45 degrees Fahrenheit, which is very, very cold. And you have to imagine, too, if you get wet, it's going to be really hard to dry out in this cold weather. You would easily be at risk of hypothermia, if you were in the water for more than a few minutes. And it would definitely give you cold water shock if you were to fall in suddenly. For those of you who are unfamiliar, cold water shock is a sudden series of psychological responses like blood vessel constricting, increased blood flow to the heart rate, gasping, inability to catch your breath, and vertigo, which can incapacitate you causing drowning or cardiac arrest. So it's just like basically... That if you've ever jumped into like really cold water and you like can't catch your breath all of a sudden and you feel very unstable, that that's kind of what that is. The search would be relaunched at 5 a.m. on the 22nd of March with fresh teams on the shoreline and at sea. Because they don't know if he's floating around at sea or if he got separated from his canoe and is on the shore somewhere. Or maybe even stranded on the shore with his canoe. We really don't know. When nothing further was discovered, the search was scaled back and eventually called off after four days. It was not until a week later, on March 29, when the RNLI were called with a report of a damaged kayak caught up by a dock close to the mouth of the River Tees. Search teams went out, but nothing was found and the search was called off once again. So now we have a damaged kayak, which we know doesn't belong to him because he was in a canoe at the time but it's weird that we have an abandoned damaged kayak and we have a canoe oar but in early may the smashed remains of a red orca canoe were discovered washed up on the beach at north gare near a section named by locals as the blue lagoon which we don't know why it's called the blue lagoon because the water's not blue and it's not a lagoon but that's what they call it The RNLI, Coast Guard, and police conducted further sea, ground, and air searches in the area, but there was no sign of John. With no leads, police appeal for witnesses who were on the beach that day to come forward in hopes that they would have new information that could be helpful to the investigation. John's wife, Anne, also gave statements to the press appealing for more information, She said that she believed her husband had died after an accident at sea. I would probably assume that as well. 
So his wife said, I have no reason to think that he would have left and stage managed this. All I want is to bury his body. As would I probably. In April of 2003, a coroner's inquest recorded an open verdict in the case of John Darwin, citing not enough evidence to report on the cause of death, which seemed fairly obvious. As John's body wasn't found, so... How would they know if it was an accident or what had happened or if he died of a heart attack or if he was eaten by a shark? Who knows? But John was legally declared dead. Even though there is usually seven years needed to pass before this happens. Right, and this is probably because they found his canoe, they found his his paddle, they know that he... The chances of him being alive or coming out of the water from this accident would have been basically non-existent, right? Yeah. Mrs. Darwin was awarded over 500,000 pounds in pension and insurance money. So, yes, there was pension and insurance money, which... Surprise, surprise. Not very surprising. Maybe his wife, like, went out there in a speedboat Knocked him out of the canoe. I was going to say just ran him over. (laughs) With the speedboat. Now, usually this would be the end because we have no further information. We don't know what happened to John. We don't know if his wife killed him or if there's some sort of crazy conspiracy. But we are actually just getting started with the conspiracies in this story. And it's about to get crazy. So let's jump forward a few years to 2008. So... On December of 2008, December 1st, 2008, a man walked into North London Police Station claiming that he thought he might be a missing person, John Darwin. He gave police officers his name, date of birth, and personal details, but told them that he couldn't remember where he had been for the past six years. Okay. So John's two sons, Mark and Anthony, who both... Oh, by the way, did we mention that John also has kids? Oh yeah, sorry. By the way, John also has children when this happens, but they are adult children. Okay. Who both lived in the south of England, were called to identify the man, and were quickly reunited with their father. Because it is John Darwin. They were overjoyed and confirmed John's identity to the police. Then they called their mother, who had sold the family home and moved to Panama a few years earlier. And then she came to reunite with her long-lost husband. So what this is, how many years? years. Six years later, John Darwin turns up at the police station and says, I think I might be a missing person. But the happy scene was not all it seemed to be. Of course, a man returning from the dead was always going to attract attention. But when reporters uncovered a photograph From Panama, the whole story was going to explode in the British and international press. No way. They faked his death. Right. Him and his wife faked his death. Yep. So he was actually in Panama with his wife. Now, the photograph in question was taken in 2006. So that is, what, two years before he comes forward saying that he believes he's a missing man, but that he doesn't remember anything. And this photo is taken by a real estate agent in Panama, which, hold on here, the image. So this is the photograph, Madison. So it's basically 
this real estate agent, and he's standing and smiling at the camera, and then there's a couple standing next to him. And it's John Darwin and his wife. And they're both standing there grinning at the camera like the fools that they are because why would you allow your picture to be taken if you are hiding, if you are in hiding and have faked your own death? Did they just fake his death for the insurance money? Kind of. It could also be, too, that they didn't realize that this picture would end up anywhere near England because they're in Panama, right? So they're thinking maybe this will get posted in the local paper. But you guys, everything is online now. The photo was sent to the Daily Mirror, who ran a story titled, Canoes This in Panama. (laughs) Get it? Yes, I get it. Like, who's this in Panama? Canoes this in Panama? Clever. When shown to Anne Darwin by police, she allegedly broke down in tears and confirmed that, yes, the image was of her and her husband, who she had claimed was dead for six years. It was this photograph that unearthed a mass of lies and deception spanning half a decade. So, you might be wondering what really happened on that March morning in 2002. So after some investigating, police found that John made several calls from their home to his wife's work on the morning of his disappearance. In one of which, it is alleged that he told Anne, this is it, pick me up later. Now these are Anne's words. This is what she told police. And this really makes it seem like a lot of planning had gone into this scheme, right? John then takes his canoe down to the beach and he paddles out into the calm spring sea. He paddles down to North Gare where he hid in a tent on the shore for a while before pushing his canoe out into sea and leaving it adrift. He then called his wife again and Anne drove to pick him up after she finished work at 6 p.m dropping him off at the Durham train station before going home to report her husband missing. So he basically paddles to shore, puts up a tent, and like just hangs out on the beach all day. And after a couple hours, he pushes his canoe back into the water for them to find later. While the search for John was going on at sea, he was on a train west to the Lake District by Lalo. His first night, he checked into a B&B in Carlisle using the alias John Allen. In memoirs written by John, he tells how after checking in and making himself a celebratory cup of coffee, he turned on the news and saw the news reports about the biggest air search rescue search in recent times. He described being shocked and thinking, you fool, you should have drowned yourself. You can't ever go back now. Yeah, no shit, John. But yeah, that's exactly what he does. The next morning, John set out to buy camping equipment and he headed out into the countryside near the west coast town of Siloth. He remained there for several months, growing out his beard, and he started walking with a limp as a disguise. When Anne came to pick him up, she said that she hardly recognized him. I, I, I don't know about this whole plan, you guys. For years, John lived in secrecy at the Darwin family home. 
or in one of the bedside studio apartments next door, which the Darwins owned and rented out. Police later uncovered that the bedside in number four, the cliff was actually attached to the family home at number three by a hole covered by a wardrobe, which John used to enter and leave his house at will. So he would basically crawl through this hole, move the wardrobe, crawl through the hole. By the way, it's funny that they're called bedside. That's like apartment, I'm assuming. I don't know. So that he could exit out the other apartment without looking as suspicious. But, dude, you're still on the street that you've always lived on. How is that not suspicious? He could hide from people coming to the family home. Right, like when police or anybody showed up. Mm -hmm. And now he has a beard and walks with a limp, too, so. (laughs) He would reportedly use this to escape the family home when his sons or other friends of the family would stop by to visit. Because his sons do not know he's alive. That's some narcissistic shit right there. Oh, my God, I didn't realize the sons weren't aware. No. I mean, allegedly they weren't. Okay, so oblivious to the situation, Mark and Anthony, the sons, grieved for their father for a while, and their mother just, you know, played along. So she'd legit be, like, sitting there crying with her sons about their dead dad, knowing full well that he was alive and well. I don't know about this. But it seemed they were the only ones who had no idea what was going on. Dave Smith, who had worked with John at the prison, spotted him working in his front garden only 14 months after John was supposed to drown. You guys, he's legit working out in his front fucking garden, and one of his co-workers sees him. So, in an interview with the newspaper, Dave recalls driving down the street with his wife when he spotted John. And in quotes, I said to my wife, Jesus Christ, that's John Darwin. Denise told me not to be daft. I was 100% sure it was him. I turned around as soon as I could and pulled up outside his house to take another look. I couldn't believe my eyes. Right, and Dave did report this encounter to police, but nothing came of it. So several more of John's former colleagues claimed to have spotted him in Hartlepool. (laughs) I can't. What the fuck? Another former home house prison officer, which is where he worked, Tony Kidd, said there were a number of staff at the jail who did not think that John Darwin was really dead. Well, no shit, they've been seeing him all over town. And some had also seen him around his hometown following his disappearance. Mr. Kidd told a new documentary about the case that quite a few did not believe the drowning story And one of the girls thought they had seen him at the Hartlepool Marina. Co-workers also claimed Darwin had taken out all of his belongings from his work locker shortly before disappearing. This guy did a really bad job faking his death, and he still fucking got away with it. Yeah, what the fuck? So another setting came from one of the tenants who lived in one of the bedsits next door to the Darwins. When he encountered John... The tenant asked him, aren't you supposed to be dead? To which John apparently replied, don't tell anyone about this. 
Which Lee didn't report the incident to police because he didn't want to get involved. In quotes. What? (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I don't think I would get involved either. Now, in 2004, John decided that it was getting too difficult to remain undetected in his hometown. No kidding. You're not undetected. Everybody knows you're alive and well, except for your children. What in the hell? And the couple agreed that they would have to move abroad. John procured a birth certificate and passport under the name John Jones, which was a baby that had been born but died 10 months before John himself was born. It was under this false identity that he traveled with his wife to Cyprus, USA, and Panama in an attempt to find a new place to live. And he's traveling with his wife. It was in 2006 that John and Anne flew to Panama, where their picture was taken and posted on the internet by a Panamanian estate agent after the sale of one of their properties. (laughs) The couple had formed a company called Jaguar Properties in order to buy a 55,000-pound apartment in El Dorado. It was here that John stayed, living off of the proceeds from the sale of the bedsit property they had sold before they moved. It Sorry, was, don't mind my snap. That was just me reprimanding the cat. It was here that John stayed, living off the proceeds from the sale of the bedsit property from where they had moved. Meanwhile, Anne had flown home to sell the family home to fund their next purchase of a small tropical estate near the Panama Canal. The couple had plans to build a hotel and run canoeing holidays for ecotourists. No way. The what irony of that. I know. Like, hey, we'll, we'll run these little tours for you in our canoes. Ironic. Don't worry. None of us have actually died in a canoe. It was while Anne was in the UK that a colleague who worked with her at the medical center became suspicious when she overheard phone conversations between Anne and who she thought could be John Darwin. The colleague contacted the police and in early 2007, a new covert investigation was opened by Cleveland police. Cleveland is an area of County Durham that Hartlepool is in, by the way. So this is in 2007. When did he come forward? 2008. So maybe this investigation is what's like starting to bring the heat on them. And also, how much does your coworkers not like you that they're turning you in? How much are you talking about your dead, your not dead husband? Why are you talking to your not dead husband in places that you should On leave? the phone in front of no. other people. And what was she saying that made her think that it was the husband and not just a boyfriend or some guy? Probably used his name like a dumbass, obviously. I don't know. Still, the family home was sold, and Anne took the money and traveled back to Panama to meet up with John, where the pair stayed for almost a year before they encountered visa issues. (laughs) John, who was living under the false identity, was required to get the British government to confirm his identity in order for him to continue living in Panama legally. This, of course, was going to present a problem Since he was lying. Around the same time, John began telling his wife that he missed his sons. Oh, now you miss your sons? 
It is wildly assumed that this is when John formed the plan to go back to England and pretend to have amnesia. Smart. (laughs) And so the whole mess unraveled. And because of photography, a photograph, which wasn't even well hidden on the internet, the person who sent it to the newspaper apparently found it by Googling John, Anne, and Panama, which is just kind of hilarious. Because he kept John as his name. I know. Dummy. (laughs) So the police arrested John and later his wife, Anne. The two sons were, as you'd imagine, devastated and they cut off contact with their parents and were classed by police as the victims of their parents scam both boys changed jobs and moved after everything came out yeah well you have to imagine a lot of people probably thought that they knew or were involved somehow when in reality when in reality it doesn't there's never been any proof that they were John was charged with making untrue statements to obtain a passport, identity theft, and obtaining insurance money by deception. Anne was arrested at Manchester Airport on her return to the UK and charged in connection with fraud. Both went to court, though separately, and were charged with defrauding insurance companies and the Department of Work and Pension out of around £700,000. So, on July 23rd, 2008, John and Anne Darwin were both convicted of fraud. John Darwin faced an additional charge related to faking his passport and was sentenced six years and three months in prison. And Anne, who was described as a compulsive liar by police, shit, was sentenced to six years and six months yeah. She got a higher charge than he did? Well, and I, I don't know if part of that is because she's the one that actually, like, claimed the insurance money mm. or... I'm not really sure, but he had an additional charge, too, for faking a passport. So his sentence should have been higher than hers, regardless. I don't know. So both appealed against their sentencing, obviously. I feel like most would. Most do. Mm-hmm. But on March 27, 2009, both appeals were denied. Yeah. The Crown Prosecution Service said that all profits from the callous and calculated fraud committed by the couple would be confiscated. John Darwin was released on probation in January of 2011, and Anne Darwin was released in March of 2011. So he got out before her, too. After the pair got out of prison, they subsequently divorced. Anne moved to a small village near York, And works for the RSPCA, which is an animal welfare organization, with qualifications she achieved in prison. Good job, Anne. Way to rehabilitate yourself. So John moved to the Philippines and remarried. As of 2014, it is reported that John had paid just 121 pounds (laughs) of the near... 70,000 pounds. 700,000. 700,000 pounds that he owed. Yeah, so we're not making a huge dent in that debt right now. Um, why wouldn't you? I would just also, die with that debt. I'm sorry. Also, what about all of the money used in the search for them? For him? What about all of that money? What about all the resources that were used looking for this man? So, 
That's nuts. That is so crazy. And that is the story of John the Canoe Man Darwin. We should definitely name this episode of Man in His Canoe. Yeah, right? <laughs> Sounds good to me. Uh, that's the beach where he was canoeing. Or John and Panama. John, comma, and, comma, Panama. Panama. <laughs> uh, so this is the building where John hid. This is the family home. I can't. Yeah, I disown my parents. I would disown you if you did that to me. You guys faked right? your death and then I had to mourn my father's death. <laughs> and you knew the whole time. And then you moved to Panama and didn't take me with you? Like, what? The- with all your insurance money? <laughs> well, not only that, but how does John... How does he just, like, not see his children for so many years and, like, that he's just okay with that? And not only that, but they think he's dead. And they think their poor widowed mother lost her husband. It's very... That's so funny. They did not. They... they No. I don't know what their plan was exactly. I don't think they thought it all the way through. No. Oh, no. No way. Or they just thought that he was going to be able to hide forever living in the family home. I... Even Uh, with a beard and a limp, you're not a completely different person. People are still going to recognize you. Yeah. I mean, what in the actual fuck? I don't know. I think that's pretty madness or pretty. I think it's funny. It's very ballsy. I think it's pretty freaking funny. And what? They're just having money troubles and that's why they decide to do this? I mean, I... Whose idea was it, do you think? Anne's. <laughs> Probably. Look at those teeth. It's com- her. <laughs> it's her Tom. idea. Wait, what is that? John's hand-drawn cove from his memoirs, which he wrote in prison and smuggled out. I want to read John's memoirs. The Canoe Man, Panama and Back. No way! He wrote his memoirs in jail. That's funny shit, actually. I don't even know. I just find... I find these people very narcissistic. The I don't know. The canoe man? The canoe man. Panama and back. I wonder if this is, like, something you can actually, like, see. His memoirs. I don't know. He had to smuggle it out of prison. <laughs> you can't... I don't think he can earn money off of it. So it's not like he could sell it as a book or anything. He is in the Philippines. I guess he can probably do anything he wants. I mean, he did die already and come back to life, so. But yeah, let us know what you guys think of this episode. It's bananas. I don't even know. Okay, well, that was the canoe man. That was the canoe man. Or Pan- or uh, John, what's her name? Anne. John and Panama, <laughs> or um, a man in his canoe, whatever we're gonna call yeah, it. Whatever I say we're gonna call it. The canoe man, or we <laughs> should just man. do John, comma and comma Panama. Maybe I'll just put that in the description, like John, comma and comma Panama, <laughs> and just the canoe man, and no other description at all. Uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in, you guys. If you need some more content, go and check out our Patreon. We really appreciate everybody that has supported us. We really appreciate everybody who 
sends us money for coffee in our link, who go and check out our Patreon, who interact yeah, with us on social we media. We love it. We love it. Share us on your stories. Tell your friends about us. You guys are all amazing. Yeah, you can do our, start doing our episode descriptions, like the Rick and Morty descriptions for the episodes. Their descriptions have absolutely nothing to do with the episodes. It's just like, this is crazy. This is wild. <laughs> this episode is so good. We're just going to stop doing descriptions and see what happens. All right. Thanks for tuning in, you guys. And we will see you soon. Yep. Bye. His tail. I know. He just can't help himself. Hi, buddy. He's so happy, though. Are you happy now? Such a happy boy. I got woken up this morning by him putting his face on my face. (laughs) We just brought Maverick into the recording room because he actually must be a fucking smart cat because I will grab my laptop and if I walk downstairs with my laptop to go get Maddie to record or do anything, he immediately goes and sits by the door out to the bunker. Yeah, or I was letting Goose play in the garage the other day, and I wanted to, like, I asked Maverick if he wanted to, and then he didn't, like, do anything. And then I went and opened the bunker door, immediately came running downstairs. Yeah, he, like, legit loves it in here. I don't know why. I think maybe because we don't let Goose in here, so he thinks it's, like, his own little privileged, like, spot or something. His own little place. But it literally takes him, like, 20 minutes to decide whose lap he's going to sit on. He, like, walks back and forth. Has to rub his scent on everything. He bumps the microphones. Right now he's rubbing his face on my computer. Like, just chill out. And he's sitting super awkwardly on Madison's lap right now. (laughs) He's drooling. Like a monster. Oh, oh, he just flung drool all over the place. Aw. Happy kitty. Happy boy. So happy. Oh, nice. Nice. Oh, yeah. I love the butthole right in my face. Maddie definitely wants your butt in her face. Continue to sit like that, please. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. I'm trying to stop his tail from hitting the microphones, too, because his tail is just straight up in the air. All right, buddy. You got to lay down. But yeah, and then while we were at the Mariner game, the fire alarm went off, which I don't know if you've ever been in like a stadium when like the fire alarm goes off. I had no idea it was a fire alarm, but basically this alarm starts going off and it it kind of sounds like it could be part of like the music or like the make some noise, like all the stuff that they were doing. And then after like a minute of it not stopping, everybody's like, what's going on? And there's, like, lights flashing, and then all of a sudden, the players start, like, just leaving the field. Like, the umpires get together, and the players start leaving the field, but nobody's telling us what's going on. Then, like, five minutes goes by, and the alarm is still going off, and then they put up these big, the you know, the big board. It says, please remain in your seats. Do not get up. And I was like, what the fuck? And then as soon as they put that sign up, people started getting up and, like, evacuating, like, leaving the building. Like, the people sitting next to us got up in a panic, left, and they didn't come back for the rest of the game. (laughs) Like, they just straight up left. And we were like, um, does somebody want to tell us what's going on? And so, like, I messaged Hannah, and I'm like, are you watching the game right now? And she's like, yeah, there's, like, they're showing, like, the kitchen and, like, sprinklers are going off. Like, something's happening. And I was like, are they saying what's happening? And she's like, no, not yet. And I'm like, what in the hell? So for like 10 minutes, the fire alarm goes off and we're all just like chilling in our seats, not knowing what to do. 
We actually talked about like getting up and like heading for the exit. Because who knows what it could have been. And I'm sorry, but if you're going to take the players off the field and you're probably evacuating them through like some secret door that we can't see. Yeah. No, seriously. Like, no. It was terrifying. I was like, this is not okay. Especially with all of the stuff that's been happening recently. Like, you just never know what kind of crazy thing might be happening. Not to mention, this was my first time going to Seattle in like years. I have not been to Seattle in years. And it was like my first time going to Seattle in so long. And then we're like in a Mariner game with the alarm going off and they're telling us not to leave our seats. That explains why traffic was so fucking weird in Seattle. When we, Because I also oh, yeah. went to Seattle. And I was wondering why you guys chose to go to Seattle when the Mariner game was happening, but... It wasn't our <laughs> idea. It wasn't our idea. <laughs> Me and Hayden were like, oh my god, oh my god. I will say, we it were was- driving, we were driving to Seattle and we were like driving, uh, like we passed the Space Needle area, like where you could see the Space Needle. And Phoenix was like, I miss Seattle. And I was like, Me too. Me too. And I will say, it was not better than I thought it would be. <laughs> it's so funny. Maverick is so cozy. You're so cozy. Oh my gosh, I have to learn how to harvest like 20 different vegetables today. <laughs> yeah, you better get on that. I gotta go to Chelan. I gotta go drive across the state. Madison's gonna go hang out in Chelan in the warm weather while I have to figure out how to harvest all of my vegetables in the rain because it's fucking raining here and I have to, I don't know, everything has to be like harvested differently, I feel like. It does. Like, can I just go out there and like start picking shit because it's out of control. My vegetables are out of control. Sure. <laughs> just see what happens. Yeah, um... I feel I'm sorry for everyone who lives in Washington State because our summer still hasn't started. It is June 20th, and we have still not had nice weather. I know. It's very, um, although I went to the Mariner game yesterday, and the weather was... It was weirdly warm yesterday. Well, the sun came out for like an hour or so, and it was like a little warmer than normal, but it still rained in the morning. Like, we had no idea what it was going to be. And then it was trash later in the day, and the wind picked up halfway through the day. England. How do you pronounce it again? Hartley Pool. Hartley Pool. So directly next to Hart Hartlepool? What is Hartley Pool? Hartley Pool. Unlike Hartley Pool. Unlike Hartley Pool or unlike Hartlepool? Hartley Pool. Hartley Pool. Okay, I'm gonna start over. Okay. So directly next to say it again. Hartley Pool. Directly next to Hartlepool. Directly next to Hartley Pool. And it's sort of a suburb almost unlike Hartlepool. Hartley Pool. Hartley Pool. <laughs> it's not spelled at all how it fucking says. Why the fuck? It's spelled almost exactly how it says. <laughs> In Seton Crewe. In Seton Crewe. It, it's just Hartlepool versus Hartlepool. So the L-E is just pronounced differently than how we would pronounce it here. That's because the English language fucking sucks. Okay, either way, can we try to get through this paragraph? Okay, so directly next to Hartlepool is Seton Crewe. Sort of. Carew. Fuck! 
Seton Crew. Karui? What? Where are I you getting know. the I don't know. I don't know. I literally can't fucking read. Why is the W at the end of the goddamn fucking word? I'm going to oh freak God. out. Okay. So directly next to Hartlepool. Hartley Pool. Directly next to Hartley Pool is Seton. I can't do it. I'm done. I'm fucking done with these names. You go. This is your paragraph. I'm done. I literally can't. <laughs> I almost said crewy again. I'm fucking done. <laughs> I can't. I'm going to die. Okay. Not before me because I'm going to end my life because I can't read. <laughs> okay. From Hartlepool. Hartley Pool. 